0: everybody. Welcome back to Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the people, places, things, and concepts from that galaxy far, far away. My name is Ross, and tonight, well, I'll be your only host. Mac is uh, in self-quarantine and is not currently available to record, so just me... Alright, who's ready for some fun? Tonight we're going to talk about the scene from Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi, the Canto Bite scene, all 11 minutes of it. So we're going to discuss that in some detail. Then we're going to head over and talk about the new children's game show, Jedi Temple Challenge, that premiered recently over on YouTube Kids finally, we're going to take a look at one of the uh, small topics, but most interesting medical conditions in Star Wars, the concept of blood burn from the novels Bloodline and Rebel Rising. So we're going to talk for a About give or take 45 minutes total today between these three topics. Probably spend about half an hour on Canto Bite, about 15 minutes on Jedi Temple Challenge, and about five minutes on Bloodburn. So if you're looking for those topics, they will be coming up right after this. Welcome back to Topic 1. For the first topic, we are going to discuss the Canto Bite scene from Star Wars Episode 8: The Last Jedi. Now, this scene starts off about 53 minutes and 50 seconds, so basically minute 54, of the film. At this point, we're sort of nearing the end of the first act. Our characters have all sort of been set up for their journeys. And now Rose and Finn are off to find a master codebreaker to try and help them get onto Snoke's ship so they can help the fleet escape and basically have taken action into their own hands. Now, the reason I uh, wanted to do this scene, two really, really simple reasons. One, the entire scene... Basically, everything we're going to discuss takes place over about 11 minutes. Now, a lot of the other scene breakdowns we've done in Star Wars have actually been shorter than 11 minutes. This one is broken up into two chunks. So the first chunk here we're going to discuss is only about 3 minutes and 50 seconds of screen time. So, it starts out, as we said, Rose and Finn in hyperspace, about to arrive at on Cantonica, the planet that holds the casino, the sort of man-made oasis of Canto Bight. Now, Rose says that, you know, this is an awful place, filled with the worst types of people. And Finn is kind of like, what does that mean? What are we expecting? And us as the audience, we're asking the same thing. What are we expecting here? What are we going to see? Is it going to be the huts? Is it going to be the pikes? Is it going to be... Uh, you know, uh, I don't know, a bunch of Sith cultists. What is going to be on this planet? And we get there, and it's, um, oh, what's a nice way to put this? It is um, the, shall we say, uh, riches of the rich, the... The uh, most elite of the elite, or at least as they believe it, the, uh, you know, from, uh, take a term from our world, the 1%, even though I don't think that's really accurate because in a lot of places, the 1%, you only have to earn like the equivalent of 300,000, $400,000. This is like the point zero zero one percent the most elite, the most wealthy, the, um... And well, should we say the people who have profited off of war the most, as the movie implies. So, uh, you know, starting off here with a little bit of a nice, a uh, little bit of a nice kind of joke twist that you weren't expecting, okay? We're expecting this dark, seedy underground, and all of a sudden we're at the Kentucky Derby. Then we have a, uh, one of two cameos we're gonna talk about here, or one of three, depending on how big you consider, uh, Benicio Del Toro's role, um... So Joseph Gordon-Levitt here is in his little bit of a uh, cameo as Slow and Low. So if you're not familiar, if, or if you uh, haven't watched the scene recently, our heroes have sort of left their speeder parked on the beach, their shuttle, and they have made their way to the, can- can- uh, the uh, casino, not cantina, the casino. Slow and low is the character who is informing the local security about, you know, oh, I told them they couldn't park there, but they just ran off right towards the casino. And uh, that is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Now, if you're not familiar, uh, JGL and Ryan Johnson worked together on Looper. And uh, well, it's great to see. I mean, who doesn't love a cameo, right? Who doesn't love an Easter egg? Who doesn't enjoy seeing characters, uh, you know, kind of fit into these small little roles? I think we all do, right? Something we can probably all agree on. Now, something I didn't know uh, is that Slow and Low is based off of a Beastie Boys song called Slow and Low. Who knew? Uh, So, I don't know. I don't listen to Beastie Boys. Maybe you do. Maybe you knew that. But apparently that's where the name comes from. Okay, so we make our way to the inside of the casino and we get this beautiful shot panning through different participants in the casino. So the camera basically goes in deeper into the shot. It zooms in, and as it does, we're passing all of these different little instances of gambling or celebration, jubilation, that all of these different guests are having. And it ends at a table with sort of Finn pushing his way in. Man, this is great. Look at this place. It's so opulent and fun and the, the alcohol is flowing everybody's having a good time. Now this shot here, one of the most in my opinion well, there's plenty of beautiful shots in the last Jedi but one of the most memorable for, for sure uh, is inspired by the 1927 silent World, world War I jeez World War One film wings World War I film wings World War I film wings. That was pretty close, right? <laughs> so this shot, as we talked about, is just... I, I, I mean, I, to me, it's... When I saw it in the theater for the first time, not only was it kind of like something I had never seen before, I had never seen this film, Wings, before, I'd seen other similar shots, but nothing that was just so as bright and vibrant as fun as we see here in Canto Bight. Uh I mean, it is, in my opinion, the first time we sort of... Gotten to really live in a sort of cantina like setting since Jabba's Palace. You know, we got to see some fun moments sort of in the prequels, and then we have, um, you know, Maz's Palace in episode seven. But this was the first time since, um, you know, Jabba that I really felt like we got to enjoy the setting for a minute. I mean, we spend um, basically four minutes here and. All of that time is sort of we get to explore the tables, and we get to explore the slot machines, and we get to explore the bar, and we get to explore the outside viewing deck. And all along the way, we're seeing different species and different characters and different um, tech, things that are new to the universe. And what should a Star Wars movie be if it's not new things added to the universe, right? So, Finn is totally enamored <laughs> by this place, you know, he's he's loving it, he thinks this is great, and Rose is not having it, Rose is, you know, just kind of giving him some dirty looks, really, we, you know, we don't know what her deal is yet, we just know that she's not a fan of Canto Bite. she's not a fan of the people here, Finn, first time seeing anything like this, and the glitz and glam has sort of gotten to him, so... We get another cameo here coming up, and this time it's a Mark Hamill cameo. Now, this is one I don't think you would have had any way of knowing until it was revealed by uh, the filmmakers and whatnot, but uh, he plays Dobu and this is the little uh, CGI alien who feeds a bunch of coins into BB-8. Now, what I love about this moment is not only is it always great to have a Mark Hamill cameo, not only do we get a new alien species, not only do we get a funny little joke, with BB-8, and uh, don't forget, Star Wars has always had some goofy comedy. So, you know, just remember that whenever you're trying to critique any of these moments. So, at this point, we see... Oh, and you know what I also love? That uh, later, the coins are going to come back and actually play a part in the story. It's not just a random cameo, a random joke, for no particular reason. It does come back, in a few minutes in the story. So, then we see some rumbling outside of the bar window, and our two ca- uh, characters run outside and see a air track. Now, this is great, because Rose is like, all of a sudden her spirits are lifted, she can see that, oh man, something... Great is going on here. And, you know, Finn asks her, all right, why do you hate this place so much? And this is where we get the first bit of Rose's motivation. Now, we sort of could imply this after Paige's death, but this is really where we hear her talking about it. We're not just kind of making an assumption based on her actions. So we sort of learn why Rose fights. You know, her family was on this mining world, and the First Order came in, basically stripped it of resources, took away all its value, uh, you know, slaughtered innocent people, and basically was just a full-on fascist oppressive regime to her planet. And uh, if you don't know, there is a great little young adult Star Wars book called Cobalt Squadron, That uh, gives you a little bit more backstory on Paige and Rose. So if you're interested in those characters, definitely recommend checking it out. That's one that uh, doesn't get talked about a whole lot. But part of the uh, Journey to the Last Jedi series, Cobalt Squadron, definitely recommend picking that one up. So we learn why Rose fights, uh, at least sort of the basics of it. And, you know, she basically says, like, you know, look around, Finn. This this place looks great, but really at its heart, it's just... You know, a, a a business. This is just a bunch of warmongers. They're making money off of suffering from the galaxy. And that has to be wrong. I mean, if that isn't wrong, if making money off of other people's suffering and discomfort and death isn't wrong, then what is? You know, what is right? What is wrong? And for her, that's a really hard and fast thing. She's like, these people are evil, these people are wrong, they serve the First Order. War profiteering is what makes them this way. This isn't right. And that's basically Rose's stance. And the best thing about this is it's setting up what's to come in just a few minutes. Now, she has a line here about how I wish I could put my fist through this whole lousy, beautiful town. But... What I think about, uh, you know, kind of funny about this is the way Finn interprets it. And that's going to come back in a minute during the father air chase. Now they run back inside, they find the code breaker, but all of a sudden slow and low shows back up and they get arrested and thrown in jail. So local security comes, uh, picks them up and they are now in jail. All of that happens in just under four minutes of screen time. So we get a new planet, we get a new uh, concept, sort of this war profiteering, something we really haven't seen in Star Wars before. We get two cameos, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Mark Hamill. We get this incredibly beautiful shot of the casino, which is filled with new tech, new aliens, new things we haven't seen before, new themes in Star Wars. We get the father air, so a new alien. And now a lot of people ask, you know, why isn't this pod racing? This isn't NASCAR. The elite of the elite, the wealthiest people in the galaxy, are not going to a NASCAR race. They're going to the Kentucky Derby. Pod racing makes no sense. Plus, remember, pod racing is illegal. Come on. So, after our characters get arrested, it breaks away, and we don't come back here for about another five or six minutes. So, at minute mark, one hour, three minutes, and about five seconds, we end up... ...back on Cantonica... ...in the Canto bite Jail. Now, our heroes are talking... ...we need to get out of here... ...we need to figure this out... ...the fleet's almost out of fuel... ...what are we going to do? And, you know, they hear DJ saying... ...oh, I can do it... ...this kind of voice coming over from this dark corner of their cell... Not, ...maybe not even realizing someone is there... ...and they both kind of look at him like he's crazy... ...like, yeah, we're not talking about picking pockets... And uh, DJ this, he gets his first kind of great line of dialogue here. And by the way, character played by Benicio Del Toro. uh, Very, very happy to have him in Star Wars and playing who I consider to be a fantastic small-time character uh, in Star Wars. But we'll talk about that more in a second as we go. So he goes, yeah, don't let the rapper fool your friend. Such a great line. Now, they decline his help. And he goes, okay, whatever. And he's walking out. I love he has that little uh, swear there in huddies. And as he walks out, he just sort of picks the lock very seamlessly and easy and just sort of casually strolls out. While Rose and Finn are kind of like, uh, what just happened? And then they chase after him. Well, as Benicio's character, DJ, turns the corner. You know, I should also probably point out here in case it's been a while since you've watched The Last Jedi uh, DJ is never named in the movie. I'm honestly surprised they even call him DJ on like the toy packaging. The reason that he's referred to as DJ is because on his, uh, hat, he's got sort of a metal plate and engraved on it is, uh, the Arabic letters D and J stands for don't join. Um, I think that initially came out directly from Ryan. Uh, but I don't remember exactly. That's just one of those things that's kind of in my head. I don't have a source for it. But uh, the character is never really named and doesn't really have a name. Uh, so just kind of one interesting little tidbit there about him. You know, most Star Wars characters, you never hear their names in the film unless they're a lead anyway. So, you know, par for the course there. Now, I love how, uh, you know, BB-8 is kind of like shooting his coins. He's incapacitating droids. Uh, DJ comes around and goes, you know, where, what what is your deal? Where'd you come from? Uh, and it's great because those coins from earlier in the Mark Hamill cameo come back and they're used to incapacitate the droids and, uh, they manage to escape. Now, meanwhile, Rose and Finn escape this, uh, sewer and end up in the Fathier pen. Now, first up, Rose is amazed, you know, she's having a great time and there's some really, really great practical work here, uh, with the Fathier head, looks beautiful. And then she opens up the door to let the father out, and all of a sudden there's a little boy there who wants to uh, basically pull the whole whistle down. You know, he wants to call security, he wants to get her arrested, and she flashes him her resistance ring. You know, she's kind of got this cool little uh, decoder ring that's got like a little secret lever on it. When you press it, it opens up like a little viewport and there's a little uh, resistance symbol, rebel symbol in there. And it's awesome. What a great homage to sort of like spy rings and like um, this sort of like secret society type of stuff. Really, really great work there to include something cool like that. Uh, I haven't seen anything like that in Star Wars before, especially not in Star Wars film. Now... This is where we sort of get the the basis not only of Rose's story, her arc, but we also get, um, you know, another kind of big moment for Finn here that starts here. So, basically, this is showing that Rose is able to inspire others around her to fight for what is right. You know, she does it with this little boy here in the father cage, this little boy who we have to assume, due to his young age, has been raised as a slave all his life. Uh, you know, is not... Free will is not something that, you know, he's used to having. So all of a sudden he's being asked to do what's right and not what is following the rules. You know, what his master has sort of taught him. And uh, Rose is able to inspire him to just sort of, hey, no, let us go do the right thing. And he is immediately on board because he knows what the right thing is. He's listening to the force and he understands what good in the galaxy is supposed to look like. Now we get our father air chase. Uh, it, you know, they crash through the casino window. There's a lot of fun little jokes in here. We see the casino get trashed. We see sort of their uh, interpretation of an opera singer kind of letting out a high note as the father airs run by. Tons of fun. Uh, we get a chase through the city. There are a couple of moments uh, because, you know, as much as I love Star Wars, as much as I love The Last Jedi, I am fully aware that not everybody does. And I am fully happy and capable of admitting that there are a few moments when we're specifically on close ups of Rose and Finn on the top of the father years where I don't think the CG looks very convincing. I think it's a lighting issue where the actors' faces just don't look quite right on top of the fathiers, but everything else about the CG here I think looks great. Every moment except for when we're right on top of our two actors I think looks fantastic. So when the fathiers are smashing through the, the, the different uh, speeders and stuff is great. I love when they uh, Finn says, hey, we need cover, and they're kind of going through that alleyway that has those hanging lights. looks fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And then the chase ends up sort of uh, an outcropping over the beach, sort of at the end of a plateau. And they sort of are riding their fathiers. They're able to escape in some of the, you know, tall grass. And uh, as they're running on the beach, their ship is blown up. And so they have to sort of make their way. They sort of avoid the authorities. And right as they let the fathers go, you know, they kind of get off of them and uh, Finn goes, you know, oh man, this was. It doesn't matter if we get caught. It doesn't matter if we get captured. This was worth it to tear up this town, to make them hurt. And Rose kind of looks at him, and she walks over to the father they had been riding, and she unhooks its saddle and throws it to the ground, and goes, "No, now it's worth it." And at the moment. We don't really know what this means other than, like, Rose is happy she gets to save this animal. Great. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's fun, but, like, you still got to terrorize all these people who you don't like. That that must be its own reward, right? Well, after that, DJ shows up in a ship that uh, him and BB-8 stole, and this basically leads them off of the planet, ending at about 1 hour, 10 minutes, 25 seconds. So, just to give you an idea... The entire bit of information that I just described takes place in about 11 minutes, or 6% of The Last Jedi. Now, the reason I call this out so specifically is really simple. This is incredibly efficient storytelling and plot movement that happens in these 11 minutes. In 11 minutes, not only do we get new technology, a new planet, um new style of citizens of the galaxy let's say Uh, we get um, new characters we get uh, new themes all things we really haven't seen in Star Wars before at least not as directly what's really important here is the things that this sets up for later in the story we set up Rose's arc right saving what you love not fighting what you hate Yeah, I know a lot of Star Wars fans like to kind of laugh at that line as if it doesn't make sense, but they're clearly missing a giant point about Star Wars if they feel that's the case. They're not understanding why the Jedi failed. They're not understanding why that mindset of destroying the evil in the world is the wrong one to have. Yes, I understand that in real life, Sometimes fighting and war is necessary, and of course, in the galaxy far, far away, we see that war is necessary, too, to overthrow a fascist regime. But that's not the point. The point of Star Wars is that it is meant to be a positive place where positivity and hope and love prevail. Luke is able to defeat Vader and the Emperor and turn his father back to the light side by not fighting, By letting love and compassion win out over violence. That is the same message Rose is teaching Finn here. That's it. That's the message. Luke throwing away his saber at the end of Return of the Jedi is the same message that Rose is preaching here at the end of The Last Jedi. We will save what we love, not fight what we hate. That doesn't mean you can't fight, that doesn't mean you shouldn't fight. What it means is you have to be fighting for the right reasons, to put it in the terms of a Jedi, fighting in defense, never for attack, right? It's the same concept. It's the same thing. And so to say that, you know, Rose's arc doesn't make sense or that her point that she makes at the end makes no sense, I think is being incredibly short-sighted. So... Rose's arc that is set up here initially, you know, we see her living you know, practicing what she's going to preach later to Finn. She's saving what she loves. She's saving the Fathiers from their sort of uh, you know their capture, their their, uh, their internment We also get the beginning of what will be Finn's arc. So at the beginning of The Last Jedi all Finn wants to do is save Rey. He wants to find Rey well, finally, because of Rose's actions and teachings on Canto Bite, Finn is realizing that he is a rebel. Finn is someone who wants to fight for what's right, to defend the people who can't defend themselves. So, Finn's arc begins here, too. We also have Rose's lesson beginning here. So, not only does the character of Rose have her own sort of teachable moment to Finn. Not only is she an incredibly important part of Finn's character development, she has her own character development here at the hands of DJ. So, as our heroes, along with DJ, are heading back to infiltrate Snoke's ship, DJ sort of teaches Rose uh, the beginning of her lesson for the film, and that's that, you know... Things aren't always as black and white as you see. You know, these war profiteers who you are so quickly to judge and sort of demonize are, you know, not just selling uh, arms to the First Order. They're also selling arms to the Resistance and to the New Republic. And these people are maybe more of a necessity than you realized. And this is a moment that I think for Rose is sort of um, underlooked because... This is a a big moment for her. She has to not only kind of deal with the fact that oh man, maybe this guy has a point, maybe he's seeing something I'm not. But then right after that, uh, he turns around and sort of has a villain moment where he's requesting, you know, uh, her piece of hazy and smelt that she wears around her neck. And, you know, to her, it's just, oh, this guy's being a dick. He's just, you know, trying to take my something that's precious to me for no reason. He doesn't need this, even though he knows he'll get paid. And then later, when they're actually infiltrating Snoke's ship, he has sort of a hero moment where he gives it back to her. Now, all of this, all of DJ's setup that we initially start on Canto Byte, is all about keeping the audience guessing, is he a hero or a villain? And that's the point. The point of DJ is that he is neither. He is just a person surviving in the galaxy. He is neutral. He's doing what he believes he should do for him to survive, what's best for him in the moment. He's helping out our heroes without any money up front initially, other than, I guess, the money he steals from the ship, right? But he's helping them out without any initial reward or anything like that. He's taking on a very dangerous job. He didn't need them to get out of the cell or anything like that, right? Then, when he's on the ship and they're caught and they're captured, he strikes a deal to make it out of it alive. So, he's doing what he has to. DJ represents that middle ground that uh, Rose doesn't understand exists. Someone who isn't inherently good or inherently evil. He is just this sort of neutral force that is operating out of his own best interests. And for Rose, that's a really important lesson here because it leads to her almost execution. It kind of gets undercut because of how important everything else is that's going on in the film at the moment, the throne room battle, the Holdo maneuver, all that kind of stuff. But Rose's lesson that comes to fruition here is really, really important, both for Star Wars and for its viewers, in my opinion. All of these lessons that we learn, that are all either accomplished or set up in this very small segment of this Star Wars film, is incredibly efficient and purposeful writing there isn't a single wasted bit of time in this 11 minutes of screen time here at star wars all in we do try and be positive you know this we talk about this a lot if this is your first episode uh you know we don't typically become too critical of star wars here because we love all star wars all things star wars were really big fans of so I completely understand if you listen to the last 20 minutes and say, well, you're just a, you know, oh, you're just a mindless fanboy and you'll like anything Star Wars puts out and you're not willing to be critical. And, you know, I, I understand that viewpoint. I understand wanting to kind of dissect uh, the things you watch from a critical, uh, you know, in a critical way and to discuss it with people and all that. I understand that. I, I really do. I mean, that's a I think that's a natural part of our sort of, consumer society is wanting to dissect and criticize things but I'm hoping that after taking some time to listen today you can maybe at least, at the very least, if you're not a fan of The Last Jedi, revisit the film. Watch it with a little bit of a critical eye. Watch it in a way that you're actually just kind of letting the movie tell you a story rather than assuming you know what the story is or should be. And I think you'll find a movie that gives you lots of great new characters in Star Wars. It gives you a lot new, a lot of new interesting tech in Star Wars. It gives you new planets. It gives you new force powers. It gives you new characters. It gives you new species. Things that a good Star Wars movie should do. At its very least, that's what The Last Jedi can give you. So even if you say, oh, you know, I don't like canto bite i don't like that six percent of the movie don't let such a small segment of a film completely completely deter you from enjoying other bits of the film because there are other things there that are well worth watching and if you haven't gone back and watched this film in say three years because of say uh, you know 11 minutes of it i think it's time for a revisit all right now that you've heard me drone on about Kanto Bite enough, let's move on to the next segment.
1: For generations,
0: the Jedi Orders have been the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy. Now, Padawan teams must endure three challenging rounds of Jedi trials to become Jedi Knights. From the strength trials on a distant world. Keep going, keep going. To the knowledge trials aboard a Jedi star cruiser. Your answer is correct. Yes. Only one team will have what it takes to enter the Jedi temple.
1: Use the force, use the force.
0: Face the mysteries inside.
1: Here's, here's the circle plug. And
0: prove their bravery to become Jedi Knights. You got this. By the right of the council, by the will of the force, yeah. it's time to face your Jedi temple challenge okay welcome back to another topic in this segment we are going to discuss jedi temple challenge the new game show on youtube from star wars kids this show we're going to say right off the bat here is a children's game show so Star Wars fans who tend to get a little upset when not everything made with the Star Wars logo on it is for them. Hopefully, you understand that once again, this is a children's game show, so there is no reason to get your, uh, you know, self all worked up uh, if you don't enjoy it. It is okay. There is plenty of other great Star Wars content out there for you. So, having said that, let's jump right in, because I had a heck of a fun time watching the four episodes that are out now, and I'd love to tell you about it. So, Jedi Temple Challenge is hosted by Ahmed Best. Jar Jar himself has returned to the galaxy far, far away, announced last year at Celebration. Uh, This is fantastic. He plays a character called Kellerin Beck, and, uh, you know, one thing that uh, I love about this... Right off the bat, I'm just going to say it, is that this show, and specifically the way Ahmed Best acts in it, is incredibly positive. Uh, It is just such a positive show that is complete filled with positive reinforcement for all the contestants, everything is shown through a positive light, even when someone is eliminated from the show, it's all about training harder and working harder and persevering and coming back stronger and not being tempted by the dark side, and all of this really, really great messaging that you love to see, uh, ...in some really effective and fun ways. So, right off the bat, this show's biggest asset, I think, is that it's just completely jam-packed with positivity. And uh, I think that's something that's super important, uh, both for children and for Star Wars. So, you love to see it. Now, the show basically takes place with three teams, uh, you know, teams of two generally, uh, at least in the episodes that have aired so far, uh, aged about 10 to 14, somewhere in there. And they compete in three challenges with a team get elim- getting eliminated at the end of each one. So we start out with an obstacle course. And this obstacle course has four different sections, and the teams must complete each section to retrieve a piece of their lightsaber hilt. And the goal is to get all four pieces and make it back to the start and assemble your pieces into the lightsaber and not be the last team to finish. So there are, and the idea I want to point out here, is that basically this section of the show is meant to be your sort of physical challenge. So there are four uh, challenges that our participants go through. They go through the power pool, which is where they wear weighted packs, and have to pull themselves sort of along a balance cart uh, and reach another end. Seems to be one of the trickier challenges. Uh, a lot of the kids seem to uh, definitely struggle the most on this one. At least that's the way they frame it with the shots in the show. So, there is the swing of strength, which is where it's just a uh, basically a rope swing. The leap and lift, which is sort of a trampoline, and they have to jump up and grab uh, some fun-looking Star Wars fruit, and then the staber stability, which is basically a balancing act, and at the end, they have to hit a little floating ball off a current of air with uh, with a stick. So, each of these challenges, like I said, results in them getting a lightsaber piece. They take it back to the beginning of the course, and they have to assemble it there in front of... Jedi Master Beck. Now, along with Jedi Master Beck, there there are two droids, 83 and LXR5. Now, 83 is played by Mary Holland, who, if you don't know, is a uh, comedian who has been on a lot of shows. The first place I ever heard of her was actually on other podcasts. So. Uh, that's where the name kind of jumped out to me from when I saw it in the credits for the first time. Should also point out there's a couple other names you might recognize. Frank Oz does Yoda on the show. Uh, no, it's just a voice. There is not a, uh, visual cu- component to Yoda, at least not yet. And then Sam Witwer, um... Sam Whitmer does a dark side voice in the show. So there is a point in the obstacle course, which we'll talk about a little bit later, where you have the chance to uh, choose the dark side. And so we'll talk about that in a moment. After the first team is eliminated from the initial obstacle course, they move on to what is essentially a memorization game. They end up on the starship Athelia, and the two remaining teams split up into pilots and engineers. And then 83 tells them a story that's about two minutes long, and it is cram-packed with details. They have to memorize as many of the details as they can, and then answer questions about them while working together as a team from their two different stations. It's a ton of fun. It is, uh, I can tell you, not easy to remember all of those details, so I don't know how those kids do it. Uh, But it's fun because each story comes with a little sort of uh, hand-drawn animated skit that goes along with it. So it's all sort of still, uh, still animation, but it is fun to watch and to see some characters that you're familiar with or some species that you're familiar with and to sort of enjoy all that as they're telling the story. At the end of this challenge, another team is eliminated, and the final team makes their way to the Jedi Temple challenge. So they actually go to the Jedi Temple. Now, in the Jedi Temple, there is a number of challenges that our teams have to get through. Now, out of the four episodes that were out at the time of recording this, Three of the teams had finished by the end of the time. But it is possible to fail. There is a fail state in this. So if you run out of time, you will lose. And you do not get to uh, get to the end and get your kyber crystal and your robes. So it starts out with a matching game with different colored lights where they have to sort of memorize a pattern, a la Simon Says. Then you move into some other challenges. There is some... Uh, matching where you have to sort of like shout at your partner from across from another room and they have to you know sort of follow these different patterns now there are two games that I've seen placed in here so I'm not sure if the show is either kind of evolving and refining itself as it goes but there are a few differences between some of the challenges in each episode uh, in the final temple so when we reach the end here And we get through our second obstacle, the sort of matching game. This is where our participants have a chance to, uh, shall we say, fall to the dark side. So this is where Sam Whitmer's voice comes in. And he is playing sort of a generic dark side voice, trying to tempt them to make it so not only can they not hear their partners, but they get frustrated by it and they choose to follow the dark side and take sort of a shortcut out of the room. Now... Out of the four shows, the four episodes I watched, only one group did this. And the only difference I could spot from them doing it is they received a different challenge in the next room. So the other groups all had in the next room basically a bunch of dangling cables. Dangling cables. And on the end, they each have a shape that they have to match. Well, the group that chose the dark side... In, uh, I can't remember what episode it was, and maybe I shouldn't say anyway in case, hey, you want to watch it, I don't want to spoil it, but the group that chose the dark side, they had a different task, where they had to stack more of a, well, kind of imagine like a totem pole type of thing, Uh, you know, different shapes that fit in a different order. They call it a power cell in the show, I think, but they're basically stacking um, different pieces that uh, only fit in one particular way. And then at the end, you have a balancing act, or I'm sorry, you have a uh, a climbing wall, you have to climb up. And then after that, a balancing act, where you and your partner each have to balance on a little uh, pedestal. And that lights up the path for your partner. And at the end, you both put your holocrons into the uh, special sort of obelisk thing, and it reveals your kyber crystals. Now, if you manage to do all of this... In the time allotted, you end up getting your saber and your Jedi robes from AD3 and Master Beck, and you go on to become a Jedi Padawan, one has to assume. So, this show does a lot of great things, a lot of things that I really enjoyed. You know, watching the first episode, I said, okay, this is exactly what I was gonna expect. It's a kid's show, it's gonna be fun and cheesy and corny. And it's got good production value, and it feels like Star Wars, but it is still a kid show. By the time the fourth episode was done, I was craving more. Just had a ton of fun with it. Um, really, really enjoyed myself. Just as sort of a kind of light, fun thing to watch. You know, you got 20 minutes to kill. It really, really was a lot of fun for me. So let me tell you some of the reasons I really enjoyed myself. First up. The Star Wars uh, nature of it is abound. It's everywhere. So there are some really good graphics on the screen. We already talked a little about the animation that you see when 83 is telling her stories during the second challenge of the show. But the animation, the drawings that are used here are just really, really nice and a ton of fun. Uh, As the participants are answering questions about these drawings... There's also a fun little Holocron graphic, sort of in the bottom corner of the screen, and it's got sort of five sections, and each section lights up when they get a ca- uh, question right. So, they really, you know, put a lot of care. During the initial challenge, there's a really fun graphic that shows four parts of the lightsaber kind of broken down, and it fills in with the team's color as they collect their piece. So, there's a, uh, there's a let's see, there's the Jedi symbol on the floor of the first arena, um you know the jedi the jedi seal there is just tons and tons of star wars sound effects added in it is just a lot a lot of fun there are um <laughs> some jokes uh i didn't write any of them down specifically for two reasons one I'm not a comedian. I'm not here to tell you jokes. I don't have great comedic timing. Let's leave that up to uh, the professional droids on Jedi Temple Challenge. But having said that, as corny as they are, it is... um it's well written. I definitely found myself laughing at a couple of them. There, there are some funny moments. Uh, they definitely know their audience a little bit and worked in a couple of jokes that uh, might be funny to adults as well as the children. So, if you're watching this with your kids, you know there might be something for you in there, even if you're not a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, definitely some funny comedy throughout each episode, at least in a couple of instances the show is definitely challenging. You know, it is, it does not look easy. There is a lot of struggle that these participants are going through. Um, You know, sometimes kids have an advantage when they're taller or when they're, you know, smaller, but uh, it's fun because it's not a consistent thing where the oldest group always wins or the tallest, biggest, strongest group always wins. Uh, There's been a lot of variety. Uh, I also have to point out, you know they they've done a good job with with casting. Uh, you know the participants so far. It is a uh, has been a very diverse cast, which uh, of course is very important. So always good to see uh, Star Wars. You know trying to be a little bit ahead of the curve and be more diverse than some other productions out there. So you know you love to see it, and please keep that coming. Of course, uh, but really th- there is one thing that makes this show stand out and makes it so good for me personally and I touched on it at the beginning but I think it's worth reiterating here at the end and that is the the positivity of it uh, it is just it is something that makes the show I think worth existing alone just the positivity of Ahmed Best and his um, shall we say Jedi nature that he brings to the show Uh, is a ton of fun to watch, and a real, real enjoyment, and a real breath of fresh air. Really, really like that a lot. Really like his attitude, and just love seeing him back in Star Wars. Um, You know, you can say what you will about Jar Jar, uh, as I'm sure you've heard on the show before. Mac and I are very much prequel apologists. We're big fans of the prequels, and what they represent, and what they did for Star Wars. So, you're not going to find a whole lot of Jar Jar hate on this podcast, but even if you are one of those people... Hey, all good. Everybody's allowed their opinions, but it is great to see Ahmed Best back in Star Wars. Uh, for me personally, I am really, really into it. Let's see, did we miss anything? Um, ah, right after the announcement was made, Ahmed Best tweeted out uh, saying that his character, Kellerman Beck, uh, has uh, the title or the nickname of the Sabered Hand. I thought that was an interesting little bit. I haven't heard that come up. I've kind of been listening for that to come up in one of the episodes. And either I've missed it or I haven't heard it yet. But I thought that was uh, worth pointing out and, you know, something to look out for. Beyond that, let's see. uh, At the end, any successful team gets their Jedi robes and gets to activate their lightsabers. Uh, So far, I've seen only green and blue lightsabers. Doesn't look like they're letting anybody pick yellow or purple or any of our other new canonical light side colors, maybe one day. Uh, I'm hoping that the kids get to sort of pick out their own color and then uh, take their lightsaber and their robes home, because it seems like uh, the colors that you get at the end are random. The first episode, I think both Jedi got green sabers, and then after that, it's been kind of a mix uh, the whole way down, but so far a show that I am really enjoying, I will continue to watch future episodes, and uh, I feel like it's a show that's going to keep evolving, it's a show they're going to keep improving upon, and keep giving us new information, and new characters, and new challenges, and new places, and I can't wait to see where it goes, all right. I think that is all we have to say about Jedi Temple Challenge. If you haven't checked it out, totally free to watch on YouTube, kids. Do not have to have a Disney Plus membership. Do not have to pay for anything. Go ahead, search it out, enjoy. Stick around for the next topic right after this.
1: Star Wars is for everyone.
0: Every day, we have the ability and opportunity to create a more accepting world by actively coming together and living inclusively.
1: Whether it's the galaxy far, far away or right here at home, there's always a chance to do even small things to include other people. Let them know that they're loved. Just regardless of the differences we have between us, what makes us in common is far more important. Yeah, Star Wars loves
0: and accepts all. And it's always been about that. And here we are in 2020,
1: Star Wars more inclusive than ever. I can't tell you how many different people from different walks of life, different ability levels, different races, creeds, genders that were all together at star wars celebration to celebrate the things we love
0: sometimes it feels like you're fighting against the empire when you're trying to champion what's right but
1: remember it takes all of us to fight an empire so join us and everyone else in the galaxy and learn how you can come together at lovehasnolabels.com brought to you by the ad council
0: Welcome back to our final topic of the day. For our third topic, we are going to discuss Bloodburn. The concept, the illness that was first introduced in the novel Bloodline and was re- later uh, reiterated a little bit on in the novel Rebel Rising. So if you're uh, wondering where this concept comes from, it is from those two Star Wars stories. Now, the first person we learn who has Bloodburn. ...is, as we said, in Bloodline, and it is Greer Sunel. This is one of Leia's associates. She ends up uh, participating in the Resistance, but she quit her professional racing career because of the disease. The other person who we learn has blood burn in the Star Wars universe is the, uh, well, daughter, who unfortunately has passed, of Jin's adopted family or surrogate family that she meets towards the end of the Rebel Rising book before she ends up in an Imperial camp. Um, basically blood burn is a disease that primarily affects younger people in space. But basically when you go to space, it's a genetic thing where your blood could start to overheat from the pressures, pressure changes in space. And if it is not treated, if you don't stop flying, uh, if you don't sort of change your lifestyle, it can eventually kill you. And that's sort of what people are worried about when they get it. So, you know, not only is it a disease that affects children, um, there is a treatment for it, Hadira serum. But the thing is that serum can be addictive. And so not only can you die from the blood burn, but you can die from the addiction from that serum as well. Um Bloodburn is this interesting little example. It's a tiny little concept. It only shows up in two Star Wars stories, but it's this little kind of interesting thing where we're learning about a medical condition that's unique to Star Wars, something we really don't see in a film. You know, we see battle wounds. We've seen Bacto. We've seen medical droids. We've seen robotic appendages. We've seen some other medical things in Star Wars. But this is one of the first times where we have, okay, here's the name of a condition, here's people who have had it, here are its effects, here's its cure. We're getting sort of all this interesting little bits of info about this specific Star Wars medical condition. And it's those types of things that make the world feel so real and full and alive. And it's that kind of genius writing by authors like Claudia Gray and Beth Revis, that makes the Star Wars world of novels so interesting, and this new sort of growing expanded universe that we're getting again now here uh, over the last five years makes it all the more interesting. So I highly, highly recommend those two stories if you haven't had a chance to check them out. I please, uh, you know, I please urge you to do so. Um, Star Wars is great. Star Wars stories are great. Star Wars novels are great. And if you don't take some time to read some Star Wars novels and you're a Star Wars fan, I highly recommend it because you're definitely missing out. okay another episode of Star Wars all in comes to a close boy weird being on my own for this one uh, let's see anything new or exciting in the world of Star Wars well like I said if you haven't check out Jedi, Jedi Temple challenge ton of fun if you have kids I'm sure they'll love it. Um, let's see, nothing really else new or exciting here in my Star Wars world, making my way through Shadowfall still, uh, also currently still reading the Legends novel Fatal Alliance, which is an old Republic novel, but enjoying that, um... Making my way through, let's see, what else have we been on? That's about it. Recently uh, reorganized my Star Wars library. Uh, let's look for some pictures on that coming soon. Have a few new things done. My Legends collection almost complete. Uh, four more books needed, and I will have all 146 of them. So I am on my way, and that means I only have about 140 more to read. Um, probably not going to finish it this year, but hey, keep working on it. Keep moving forward. All right, everyone. Well, I had a ton of fun getting to come to you and talk to you myself this week. I hope you enjoyed the topics. I hope my rambling wasn't too hard to listen to. Um, Yeah, it's really, really tough when you're the only one talking for an hour. Who knew? Uh, So next time Mac's back, I can appreciate him just a little bit more, right? All right, everyone. Well, thank you again for listening. And uh, as always, my name is Ross. For Mac... May the Force be with you.
1: This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.